Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. My salvation comes from the Lord alone, right? So here's Jonah. He's in the fish's stomach, and he's like, this stinks. Like, I I even want to die, and God won't let me die. So what are you going to do, Jonah? You're going to dissolve in that fish's stomach for however long that takes? Or are you going to turn to him? And that's what he did. He hit rock bottom, and he was like, "I, I need to turn back to God. And he repented. You're never too far gone. Never too far gone. Are you aware of how deep the Pacific Ocean is? At one of its deepest points, it's over six miles below the surface. Can you imagine how cold and dark it is down there? Well, Pastor James shares that even at that depth, you're not out of God's reach. His love for you reaches deeper than any ocean floor, higher than any mountaintop, and farther than the east is from the west. The question is, will you reach for him? He's ready, willing, and able to meet you right where you are. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Jonah chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. They had the solution, but they are like, we can't just kill you. We can't just throw you over. We will fight to get to the shore. And here Jonah is. He doesn't, win, he doesn't even want to go to Nineveh. He has no compassion for those people at all in their souls. These guys don't know God at all. Yet. Yet. Then they, it says, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. They're praying now. Don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. They have way better theology than most Christians today, too. And they just met God in a storm on a boat. They're like, we're going to (laughs) die. But this guy seems to know the one true God. And then they start crying out to him. The sailors picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So they may have lost everything, but they gained the most important thing, and that was salvation. And that was salvation. So yeah, they go back to Tarshish, and they're empty-handed, but they go back to Tarshish as new people, as new people. So they tossed Jonah into the sea. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish, and it technically is correct. It's not a whale. It probably was a great fish. I know you can technically say a whale is, well, whales are not fish. Um, What am I talking about? Shannon and I watch enough Shark Week. We know the difference, okay? Um, No, God created this fish. Probably in this moment, God created this. What I wrote on mine is aquatic beast is what I wrote next to mine because it's a sea monster, Is it a big fish? It probably is a big fish, probably. But you could also say some sort of sea creature swallows Jonah, right? And you're like, that's that's just impossible. Well, how is that impossible? It has happened in history, and guys have survived that. So how is that impossible? I think it's it's very probable for this to happen. Um, There's some whalers out there that have stories of this, of like, yeah, one dude went over, the thing swallowed him, 
we caught that thing, cut it open, and he was still alive, right? So it's very possible. So this great fish swallows Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights, and that's the reference Jesus uses in the Gospels, my resurrection. He's like, just like Jonah, three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the, well, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, in the tomb for, for that amount of time, and then resurrected. Okay, um, just so you understand what's happening inside the fish, it stinks, I'm sure of it. Um, it's, who knows what this great fish had been swallowing before Jonah. The stomach acids within the, within the fish would probably have bleached his skin white, and any body hair he had was probably gone. So I just want to create that image as he goes strolling into Nineveh, okay? So just so you understand, of like this Hebrew guy, probably about this tall, no hair anywhere, head, eyebrows, eyelashes, nowhere, and he's just like bleached white, okay? Weird, weird scene that's happening there. And for these Ninevites, um, they've already had like natural disaster after they had a plague, and then a few years later there was an eclipse, and then there was going to be another plague. And it's thought that Jonah shows up right around that same time, where God's been trying to get their attention, and then this this, you know, this, this white dude shows up, and that's not saying, like, you know, ethically. I'm just saying, like, no, he literally, he's white. Like, you know, he just, he just walks into the town and is like, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're all going to die, right? He sends this message. And they've been given hints, so to speak, from God already, and they're like, yeah, we think we'll follow that God. We'll, we'll think we'll pay attention now. But before you get there, verse, uh, chapter 2 says it's a prayer, a prayer from the belly of the fish, and this is a repentance, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. See, he's, he's going down all the way to the bottom. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. So this is his experience inside the fish. Now, how he can see outside the fish, I don't know. But maybe God created a translucent fish. Because there are translucent fish that live at the bottom of the sea. So maybe he, he just you know, appointed, and that's technically the term there, he appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah. Maybe it was a see-through fish. Can you imagine that? Being inside this fish's stomach as it's going down, and I don't know how the pressurization worked on that, but maybe it went down in, in levels so his head didn't like explode or implode, but he is seeing like the base of the mountains in the sea. How is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I hope that fish is in heaven that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a great ride, right? Like if there's like a theme park in heaven, it'd be like, can I do the Jonah fish thing? Because um, I want to see that. Uh, but he's, and maybe this is very poetic. So, you know, obviously he's probably using poetry language. But anyways, he's like, I went down as far as you could go. That's where I was. That's where I was. Running away from God got me to literally Rock bottom. Literally, rock bottom. He says, but you, 
O Lord, my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with, a song, with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Right? So here's Jonah. He's in the fish's stomach, and he's like, this stinks. Like, I, I even want to die, and I, God won't let me die. So what are you going to do, Jonah? You're going to dissolve in that fish's stomach for however long that takes? Or are you going to turn to him? And that's what he did. He hit rock bottom, and he was like, I, I'm, I need to turn back to God. And he repented. You're never too far gone. Never too far gone. And I love the Lord's answer to his prayer. It says, the Lord ordered the, uh, ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Right? I would have loved to have been a fisherman on the shore that day. Right? You're there in the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe you're out swimming in the beautiful, crystal clear waters of the Mediterranean Sea. And then all of a sudden, this, this dude goes flying out of this fish's mouth and just lands on the beach. Right? Like, he may have just like vomited him up, or I tend to think that he just shot him right out of there. And there's this dude, and he lands, and he's naked, right? Because he doesn't have clothes. If you don't have body hair because of the acids, you don't have clothes either. That's another thing for you, right? You're like, uh, I've never seen that before. That's like a fish story that nobody's going to believe, probably. Um, but it's, it's amazing how Jonah goes from singing praises to God, and then really, not that long after this, he's going to be wanting to die again. Wanting to die again. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, sorry. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh, deliver the message I've given you. I'm going to give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So you have Nineveh, but then you also have the outskirts of Nineveh that would compose of this massive city. It's, a, it's the capital city. It has 1,200 tall towers that are 200 feet tall. It's a massive, uh, just a massive city. The city wall is 100 feet high surrounding it. So it's pretty daunting to come up to the city. And also, the people living inside the city are psychotic, okay? They're crazy. Like, the things they do to other people is just, it's wrong on so many levels. And here's Jonah, probably, because the journey, he still has to walk to, to Nineveh. He still has a long ways to go. So he hopefully has found clothes in the midst of like getting back on the land and making the walk there. And he goes around the city. He walks around it. It takes him three days to go all throughout the city. It says, on the, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's his message. No solution. Like, no, so there's, that, that's not a gospel message, by the way. And everywhere he walked, this is the only thing he was saying to these people whom he did not care about. Oh, God, you got a message for me? You want me to deliver this message? I'll deliver that message and only that message. Now, there's good with that. However, I think the heart behind the message would have been to maybe elaborate a little bit more on that. Like, God's like, I'm going to, okay, I, this is essentially what I want you to say, but put some heart, compassion behind this message. Jonah's like, mm-mm, I don't think so. I'm just going to say what you told me to say, and that's it. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed, exclamation point. 
moving on, <laughs> right? And they're all like, what? Like, okay, all right, who's this weird guy walking around town? Like, it, that's what he did. Here's the thing, though. God had already been working on the people of Nineveh's hearts. And I think he was using those natural things to communicate supernatural truths. Plagues, eclipse, another plague, weird guy walking around town shouting out, God's coming back. We have lots of those, by the way, today. I don't think any of those guys are actual prophets. Um, You need test the spirits. I've encountered some of these weird guys who are like, judgment's coming. Um, And when you have conversations with them, you're like, oh, I don't think you know the Lord at all, actually. Um, But Jonah, as a prophet from Israel, he's walking around in enemy territory, and he delivers this message. In verse 5, it says, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Right? That's how they would show, like, repentance. They put on uncomfortable clothes, burlap. It's scratchy. They put that on it. The Israelites were known to not only to put that on, but then sometimes would throw ash upon their heads. Just an outward display of like, I'm, I'm, I'm in repentance right now. And this repentance for Nineveh would postpone the destruction for about 150 years. Just long enough for another generation to come on board and to forget about God. And then God said, oh, okay, judgment's coming then. But this stayed off that, that judgment initially for about 150 years. It says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes and dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Look, this is the king who's responding to the message. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds or in flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. They got that from all from one message. They didn't even say anything about that. Jonah didn't, he missed out on a great opportunity. This is like probably one of the greatest revivals known to human history ever. And Jonah, the prophet, could have gone down in history as like one of the greatest evangelists ever. He's like, I'm only going to say what you want me to say, God, and then I'm out of here. What about discipling them? What about, you know, helping them to walk in repentance, Jonah? He's like, I'm not going to do it. And God's like, I don't need you to do it. They'll get it. They'll get it. Do what I ask you to do, Jonah. Say what I want you to say. If your heart's not in it, you don't want to stick around, that's fine. They'll get the message. It's amazing. God includes us in this work. Sometimes our hearts aren't always right within the work. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. And it's a privilege. It's an honor to be presented with options to serve him and to represent him. And if my heart's not in it, God knows how to show up anyways. Anyways. And then we're left looking like Jonah at the end of the story, throwing a pity party and like, woe is me and all this nonsense. And God's like, get to that city and disciple these people. He missed it, though. Totally missed out on this opportunity. But they are all repenting. Even the animals are repenting, if that's possible. (laughs) 
They may not know what's going on, but they're getting the burlap too, okay? The people are like, hey, we're covering everybody with this stuff. We're covering everybody. Why? Because they took God at his word. They took him at his word. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And that's that he was going to destroy them, but then he pushed pause on it for 150 years. And then, like I said, then another generation came up and they forgot about God. And God pushed the unpause button. And that's something that we, we should be mindful of within our own nation as well. We want to forget about him. Okay. I don't know if there's any prophecies against America and destruction or anything like that, but I do know that there's, there's a word for, for nations that turn their back on God. Maybe the, the pause button is being released, so to speak. I pray that's not true for us as a nation. I pray that we could respond like the Ninevites with repentance. Time will tell. Time will tell. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, or it, it angered Jonah. It, it caused him to become hot, technically what that's saying, right? Uh, that word, that this is like a little cool little play on words, because um, towards the end of this chapter, he's going to become physically hot because of a east wind, um, but he is emotionally hot, right? He is, he's angry. So it greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. In fact, you're going to see, uh, depending on your translation, you're going to see about four times in chapter four where Jonah is said to be angry. He seems to be an angry prophet. There is no joy in his ministry, no joy in his serving of God. Um, he, he served God probably just like much of us do, if we're honest. It's out of fear, right? If I don't do this, then he's going to get me, right? So it's, uh, sometimes we, we, we serve out of fear, and your, your service to the Lord should never be out of fear. There should be a reverence towards God, a healthy, respectful, that kind of fear, but you should not serve out of fear. If I don't do this, then he'll be mad at me, or he's going to get me, or, or any of that stuff. Um, my heart, your heart, in ministry should be that of joy. It should be just that of joy. Do it for the joy, right? It's like giving. We don't give, uh, you know, out of uh, complaining hearts and all that stuff. No, a cheerful. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. You could probably be safe to say that the Lord loves a cheerful servant, right? Somebody who actually likes to do what his will is and what his plan is for them, okay? So verse 2, it says, he complained. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord, right? So here's Jonah having this little combo with God, okay? And he says, I, I told you this was going to happen, I told you this was going to happen. Okay, number one, you don't tell God anything, okay, about what is going to happen. He already knows what's going to happen. So Jonah's just, he's venting. He's venting. He's mad. He, he, he didn't want to see this happen. He knew it was going to happen, and through drudgery and a fish, uh, he showed up and he, he did what God told him to do. But again, there, there's an absence of joy within his service here. He says, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get anger, or slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. 
right? So here's Jonah's accusations or, you know, describing the characteristics of God and why he ran away. Uh, You told me to go, and because I know who you are, characteristic-wise, I ran away because I know you're a loving God. You're a forgiving God. You're a merciful God. You're a loving God. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, you're a compassionate God. These are the things that Jonah knew about God. The sad reality was that those attributes or characteristics of God never translated into the heart and the life of Jonah, at least as far as we know. I don't know what Jonah chapter 5, quote unquote, looks like, but I know that Jonah is describing a God who looks completely different than Jonah does in, in character. And, and that shouldn't be true of you and I, right? We, we can't describe our God to unbelievers and our lives don't match his characteristics, so to speak. And I'm not talking about doing it right or perfect and, and all that nonsense. I'm talking about God is love. Well, we should be loving as well. If God is compassionate. We should be compassionate as well. God is long-suffering, we should be long-suffering as well. In fact, you can go through Galatians chapter 5 and see that there is a whole list of the fruit, singular, of the Spirit that should be evident within our lives. Why? Because they are evident in God's life, right? So here's Jonah saying, you're like this, and I ran away because you're like this. I ran away to Tarshish. He says, "You uh, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen, right? So here's Jonah. Jonah's got his own plans. He knows, like, God's going to rescue these people. He's going to save them. He's not. He's going to relent. He's not going to destroy them. Jonah has other plans. He's thinking, I'm going to camp out on this hillside, and I'm going to watch because they're this pagan Gentile repentance surely isn't real, Right? Like they came forward, so to speak, and Jonah's sitting in the pew, and Jonah's like, that'll never stick, right? So he's like, I'm just going to camp out here, and I'm going to watch the fire from heaven rain down on this place. And it's not happening. And Jonah's just getting, with each moment that's passing, Jonah's just getting angry and angrier and angrier. And he's just mad. What I do respect about Jonah is this. He did, he did turn to the Lord. Right? He's having this conversation with God. And I, I, think that's, that, that's, I think that's good. Okay, And let me say it like this. I, I think so often you and I, um, the Lord calls us to do something, and it may not be what we want to do, uh, but it's what he's asked us to do. And, uh, and our tendency is to internalize that um, and let that fester and, and let that bitterness, uh, like a root of bitterness, take hold of our hearts, and we, we would be more prone to even go and talk to other people about this, and almost in the complaining uh, about the Lord to other people, right? Um, if the Lord's asked you to do something and you don't quite agree with it, um, number one, you should still do it because he's God. Uh, and number two, any complaints or disagreements you may have with him, by all means, voice those to a very real and personable God out of respect and out of that proper fear, though. Okay? So I, I do credit Jonah. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken.
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.